Welcome to Back to the Basics with Pastor Jason McClendon. This program is sponsored by Crossroads Christian Fellowship, a non-denominational, conservative, and evangelical church focusing on returning to the mindset of believers in the New Testament church. The acronym BASICS, in the name of the program, stands for Believing and Sharing in Christ's Salvation. We are disciples making disciples who make disciples. And now, here is the message. All right, well, welcome once again to Crossroads Christian Fellowship. Whether you're watching online or you are watching later on down the road two years from now or you're with us live right now here in the room. So last week, we spoke about Jesus spending 40 days and 40 nights out in the wilderness being tempted and fasting and all of the things that he was doing then. Now, during that time, John the Baptist was continuing to preach and to tell everybody he knew about the arrival of the Messiah. And when Jesus returned, when he'd gone out to the wilderness and he came back, which was probably along the same route, then he ran into John and he ran into John's disciples as John was out there having a conversation. And when Jesus walked by, John pointed him out to the disciples that he was standing there with. And he said, this is the Lamb of, of God. This is the one that I've been telling you about. The reading for this is from John 1, verses 35 through 51. <clears throat> the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he said, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. <clears throat> Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Now Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are 
the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now this narrative describes the calling of the first four disciples. It starts with John the Baptist pointing out Jesus and saying that he is the Lamb of God. Now he's been preaching and he's been telling people about the Messiah. And so to be sure, his own disciples, the ones who were following John at that time, they knew about who Jesus was. And it's also clear that, that, that John, recognizing who he was in comparison to Jesus, because remember, he said he wasn't even worthy to tie his sandals. He was sort of pushing them in Jesus's direction. But the other note of importance here is to clearly recognize that John foretold about the sacrifice of Jesus. When he referred to him as the Lamb of God, that is what he meant. Now, whether he fully understood what he was saying or not, the lamb was what was sacrificed by the priests at the temple. And Jesus was eventually the sacrifice for all of mankind as a substitutionary death to pay for our sins. But one of the individuals that was standing there with John the Baptist was Andrew. And he was the first disciple to really spend any time with Jesus after the public declaration of who he was, after the baptism itself. Now, there was somebody else there, too, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. The first named disciple was Andrew. The scriptures say that after Andrew had spent some time with Jesus, the first thing he wanted to do, the very first thing, was to go and find his brother Simon and tell him about meeting with the Messiah. He went to Simon and he said, we have found the Messiah. And then he brought his brother to Jesus. And let me say once again, the first thing he wanted to do after meeting Jesus was to tell somebody else about Jesus. He wanted to share what he had learned so that his brother could experience the same goodness that Andrew had experienced in even just a few short hours of spending time with him. Jesus. And that, my friends, is what we should be like. We should be excited about sharing this great news of Jesus with everyone we love, and actually with everyone, whether we love them or not. We should be seeking to learn more about the Word, just as Andrew was doing while he was standing there with John either after John was preaching or before John was about to preach, but standing there having conversations and discussing about the Messiah and other important things. And then we should be excited about the opportunity to learn more ourselves and, of course, the opportunity to then share that knowledge with other people. And, of course... We must follow Jesus, just as Andrew did. So first, Simon was there where the word was being preached. 
because he came there with his brother Andrew who brought him there. So now we have Andrew, an unnamed disciple, and Simon. And then second, Simon was listening to what was being said. And third, he was willing to do what needed to be done, which was to follow Jesus and then to tell others about him. Now, when Andrew and the other person, we don't know exactly who that was, were behind Jesus, Jesus turned around and said, what do you want? Now, this was not a simple question that we might ask somebody today if they're following us on the street. It was not like just saying, what do you want? And them saying, well, I, I want to get directions or I want to find out where the nearest coffee shop is or I want to mug you. Nothing like that. It wasn't, it wasn't simple. Instead, this was Jesus who had just been introduced to them as the Messiah that they had long been waiting for. The question had much more importance than what we might think about when we do just a cursory reading of this. He said, what do you want? And this could mean so many things, but more than likely it was some sort of an existential question. It was a philosophical question like, what do you want out of life? Or what are you seeking? What are you after? And they knew that because they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now their intention was clear. First, they called him Rabbi, indicating that they recognized him as a teacher. More importantly, by asking where he was staying, they were recognizing him and requesting to be their teacher. It might sound somewhat in innocent, but in actuality, they were asking for an invitation to go with Jesus to where he goes to spend his own private time. They were asking to join him in his personal space where they could be real with him, where they could open up their hearts and their minds, where they could truly get to know him. And it was after this experience when Andrew got to know Jesus, that he wanted to share what he learned with everybody else. And I would offer at this point that if you don't want to share Jesus with other people, then you probably have not actually gotten to know him. And when these two individuals made their intentions clear, Jesus simply said, come and you will see. So Jesus invited them to come and to join him. He fully understood their question. He fully understood their willingness and desire to learn from him. And after his baptism and his wilderness experiences and temptation experiences, he knew it was now time to start developing his disciples. And so he invited them. And when he said, Come and you will see. He was talking about seeing much more than just where he was staying. They called him a rabbi and they were seeking an invitation into his private life. And Jesus invited them to join him. And so they did. Now, as a side note, some theologians believe that the unnamed person here, that unnamed disciple, was actually John. Not John the Baptist, 
but John who would eventually become the disciple who wrote the Gospel of John and John's letters and Revelation. Now John never names himself in the Gospel. And that's kind of what happened here. He just says the two were there and Andrew did this, but there's that other disciple. So we don't really know for sure, but it's very possible that that other person was John. Now, of course, there's a really good chance that John already knew Jesus pretty well, possibly at this point, because he knew Jesus before that point. But we'll talk about that a little later in another sermon. When Jesus first met Simon, who is often referred to as Simon Peter, Jesus said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, Cephas is an Aramaic word. Remember, Jesus spoke most of the time, at least, in Aramaic. And when that word, Cephas, is translated from Aramaic into Greek, the word is Petros which when translated into English is stone. Now it's interesting looking at various translations. Uh, in the New International Version, which is the one I read, it simply says, you will be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. But it doesn't go any further than that. This is one example where I like going back to the King James Version, which says, thou shalt be called Cephas, which by interpretation is a stone. So it explains what that actually means. Now, Jesus, who knew who Simon was and who Simon would become, and that's why he changed his name to Cephas, to stone. At this point, although Simon, Andrew, and Simon Peter were, were followers of Jesus, and John, they were not yet full-time Followers. They were still working their job because it's later on when Jesus sees them at the boat. After this, after he met with these three individuals, Jesus decided to go into Galilee. Now remember, Andrew and Simon Peter were fishermen, and John was too. And Jesus probably met them at the Sea of Galilee or relatively close to it. This was shortly after his trip from returning out from the wilderness where he was being tempted. This is near the spot where Jesus was baptized. And that spot was slightly south of the Sea of Galilee on the Jordan River. The Jordan River enters the Sea of Galilee at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And then the Jordan River continues down at the south end. So John was, John the Baptist, was obviously still in that same area. But interestingly, interestingly enough, the Sea of Galilee is not actually in the region of Galilee. It's right next to it, just east to it. So Galilee was a region. It was not a city or village. It was a region. And in fact, Nazareth was just one of the many cities in the region of Galilee. So we have Jesus there, probably right next to the Sea of Galilee. He's meeting these individuals, and then he says he's going to go into Galilee, into the region. And that's where he then met Philip. And Philip then goes and gets Nathaniel, and he brings him to Jesus, just like 
Andrew brought Simon, who became Simon Peter. Now note that Jesus went to Galilee specifically to find Philip. Philip was not looking for Jesus, at least not in the sense of looking for the Messiah any more than any other Jew at that time was looking for the Messiah. But Jesus went to Galilee to find Philip. And Jesus comes to us too. Just like Jesus sought out Philip, Jesus seeks us out. Jesus seeks to have a relationship with us. The entire purpose for Jesus coming to earth was to repair the relationship between God and man. And he seeks us out to do just that. Now note the scripture also says that Philip was from the town of Bethsaida, just as were Simon and Peter. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus traveled all the way up to Bethsaida because Bethsaida was at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. But it's probably pointed out that he was from Bethsaida because it also says that Andrew and Simon were from that same village. And remember, the populations in these villages wasn't very big. So the tie-in there is probably that he had spoken to Simon and Peter, and then he went into Galilee to go find Philip. And Philip, more than likely, knew Simon and Andrew. Now, according to, uh, to what the scripture says, which is all true, when we tie some of these things together that aren't written on the surface, we see some intricacies that you don't notice immediately, such as this one. Simon, Peter, and Andrew were from Bethsaida. Philip was from Bethsaida, so they knew each other. John, not mentioned here, but he's never mentioned when he writes the gospel. He doesn't mention his own name. So when we dig into this, John was more than likely that other disciple. And we'll find out later on why John, one of those deeper intricacies, probably knew Jesus pretty well. Maybe not as the Messiah, but he knew Jesus because we'll learn about how he probably grew up with Jesus. Now, when Philip went to go find Nathaniel, he said, we have found him. In other words, Philip was looking for the Messiah and Nathaniel was looking for the Messiah. That's why he said, we have found him. How many people today are looking for a savior? They might not know it's Jesus yet because we have to tell them that. But how many people today are looking for a savior and would respond positively if you were to introduce them to Jesus? Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, according to Barner Research, in a survey that was recently recorded in, in Christianity Today, many members of Gen Z, which is somewhat approximately people who were born somewhere in the neighborhood of 1997 to 2012, 
They say that they are very interested in learning about Christianity. Now, a recent survey from the American Bible Society says that the vast majority of Gen Zers are curious about the Bible, and two-thirds of them reported that they want to read and study the Bible more. But even with that, under the same survey with the same people, only about 56% of Gen Zers believe, or identify rather, as Christians. Even though the vast majority of them want to learn more, only about 56% identify as Christians. And about half of those don't believe that the crucifixion is historical. The ones who identify as Christians don't believe that the crucifixion actually happened. And only about a third of them believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. So out of the Gen Zers who profess to be Christians, half of them don't believe the resurrection. I'm sorry, half of them don't believe the crucifixion even took place. And a third of them, only a third of them believe that he rose from the dead. This is a problem. So, so many people, so many people out there, especially within our younger generation, are expressing curiosity about the Bible and the willingness to learn about Jesus. And what are we doing about that? What are we doing to go out and quell their curiosity to share with them this great news that we have? We have access to all this information about it. What are we doing to reach these people, to share them the, about the message of Jesus before the atheists teach them the other message, before they're taught that the Bible is not true, that the Bible is historical fiction? We want to teach them that the crucifixion happened. We want to teach them that the resurrection is true. What are we doing about that from an apologetic standpoint? What are we doing to teach them that truth? Every single one of us is called to that mission. Every one of us. So we've got to make sure that we're engaging in that mission. Now, just as with Andrew, whose first response was to go share about the news of the Messiah, Philip's first response, excuse me, Philip's first response was to share the good news with his friend, Nathaniel. And what he said was, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So clearly Nathaniel was also looking for the Messiah. They were seeking the truth, just as so many people are today. So Jesus went and got Philip, and then Philip, using Jesus' example, went and got Nathaniel. But when Philip first told Nathaniel, he was doubtful and he even said, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Was he hopeless? Was he like so many people in the world today who feel like there is no hope, there is no truth? Either way, because he was invited by his friend, he went to meet Jesus. 
Now notice that Philip didn't try to convince him of anything. He simply said, come and meet him. And so Nathanael did. But whether there was any doubt or not, Nathanael was invited and he was received by Jesus. And Jesus knew his character. Jesus said, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus was complimenting Nathanael by making the point that Nathanael was a man who lived as he believed God commanded. Now remember, when Philip was introduced to Jesus, or I'm sorry, when Philip introduced Jesus to Nathanael, he was careful to say, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote because Nathanael was a believer. He was a Torah-following Israelite, and he knew the Scripture well, and he was seeking the Messiah. And he had also probably been pretty disappointed with what he would found so far before Jesus came along. And Nathaniel simply asked him, how, how do you know about me? And Jesus answered that he had seen him under the fig tree. Now that particular moment under the fig tree must have had some sort of significance for Nathaniel, for Jesus to use that as his confirmation. Jesus revealed something to Nathaniel at that point, at that point, at that moment. I don't know what it was. I don't know what Nathaniel was thinking about or what he was contemplating while sitting under the fig tree. But for some reason, that answer was what Nathaniel needed to hear. And Jesus revealed to him then that he would also see greater things than that and said, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending of the Son of Man. Nathaniel was quickly convinced, which is why I believe there was some sort of personal significance to this story about being under the fig tree when Jesus saw him. It's almost as if Jesus was saying, I saw you under the fig tree and I know what you were thinking about. I know what you were contemplating. I know what you were praying about and I'm here to answer those prayers. Because of what was going on under that fig tree, that's why I am here. Because God absolutely knows our hearts and our minds, just as Jesus did with Nathaniel. We have to remember that God knows our hearts and minds. He knows what's going on. He knows that there are many people out there that are seeking him, that are searching for him, that are hurting, that are in pain. And one of the reasons that we are here is to get out there and share that message, to be part of activities taking place like the, the baptisms going on in Auburn, the baptisms going on across military bases, the baptism going on across the world because people learn about Jesus and they get to meet him. And once they meet him, there's, there's a flame that is hard to put out. In the book, Christian Theology in Plain Language, 
The author says it is easy to determine when something is a flame. It ignites other material. Any fire that does not spread will eventually go out. A church without evangelism is a contradiction in terms, just as a fire that does not burn is a contradiction. We have to spread the message. We have to be evangelists. The first thing that Andrew did when he learned all about Jesus was to run to his brother Simon and share that message with him so he could bring him along. The first thing Philip did was to run and find Nathaniel to tell him so that he could bring him along. They were excited. When was the last time you told someone about Jesus? There are a lot of people who are looking for answers. And we have the answer right here. We have the answer. So I want to ask you to make that your focus this week to tell one person, just one person, to tell them about Jesus so that we can see how their lives can be changed forever by following you. Let's pray. Father God, once again, we thank you for the message that you've given us. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins so we could spend eternity in heaven with you. And Father, we ask that you allow us to see the opportunities so that we can share this message with other people so they too can learn about you place their trust in you and follow you and spend eternity in heaven with you. Father, we ask you to show us these opportunities to open up these doors so that we can step through them and work on the mission that you put us here to do. All this we thank you for and ask you for in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, running a ministry is not free. There are many costs associated with developing and running programs, and we humbly ask for your support, especially if our messages have touched your heart or you believe they will touch the hearts of other people. We ask that you first pray about how God wants you to proceed, and then, if you feel led, help us focus on building the kingdom of God. If you are a Christian and you are not tithing anywhere, please consider tithing to us or consider gifting to us, however God leads. Remember, the money you have is God's money that He blessed you with to manage and to be a good steward. The money you tithe and gift to us builds the ministry of Crossroads Christian Fellowship and the International College for Christian Studies. The more financial support we receive, the more people we can reach. You can make this monthly contribution or one-time gift through PayPal by going to donationforchurch.com. You can also find other ways to donate on that webpage. Thank you in advance for your support, and may God bless you. Friends, I sincerely hope that you are already a follower of Jesus. But if you are not, you need to know that the Bible makes it absolutely clear that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We are all sinners, and we all need Jesus. 
none of us can do it on our own. When we die, we will either go to heaven or to hell. But the ability to spend eternity in heaven is a free gift from God. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because he loved us so much, Jesus paid the penalty of death for our sins. He paid the price with his own blood, which means that we don't have to. That gift is free, and to receive it, all you have to do is recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Confess your sins to God, repent of your sins, in other words, you have to turn away from them, and turn your life over to Jesus, asking Him and allowing Him to be the Lord of your life. Remember, just because you repent and make Jesus your Lord does not mean you will instantly become perfect, but you do need to strive to model your life after Jesus. There are no magic formulas or special prayers to become a Christian. Just make it known to God. Just tell Him. He knows what's in your heart. Now, if you've made the decision to dedicate your life to Christ, which is often referred to as being born again, or if you've made the decision to rededicate your life to Christ, please let us know. Go to IamSavedByJesus.com and tell us about your decision. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to know if we can help you along the way. If you haven't made that decision yet, please pray about it, and we'll pray for you too if you let us know. This is the most important decision you can ever make in your entire life. It only takes a few seconds to decide, but the ramifications of your choice are literally eternal. Take it seriously. Remember, go to IamSavedByJesus.com, and we look forward to hearing from you. God bless. Well, it's almost time to go. Thank you for sharing this time with us. We are praying regularly for you and ask that you do the same for us. Until we come together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go now into the world and serve the Lord. Amen.